CRCFM Sport with Guinness Castle Bar, home to Mayo's best range of bedroom and bathroom supplies. Well, you're all very welcome back to the Saturday Sports Show here on 102.9 CRCFM. Well, I'm joined in the studio by Jimmy Blake and must begin by congratulating Jimmy on becoming the vice chairman of the CRCFM board. Congratulations to you on that one. Thank you, Keevan. But it wasn't all a joyous weekend of celebration, Jimmy, as anybody watching Sky Sports last night, tuning in to Ellen Road as Leeds United, uh, aside many tipped, well, one pundit in this studio, one vice chairman of the board, expected a minimum continental day out at least one or two Europa League if they were bothered but ultimately it looked like a Champions League not even being able to beat West Ham United at home where's it all gone wrong <sighs> look I when I made that statement uh, I was under a lot of pressure and uh, if uh, my good friend Aidan was here uh, he would help me out and uh, I would get him to answer from Gordon was, you know, he has a legal background, and that, and he, if we could sue you for those comments and being so nasty to me, you know, I, it's worse than the chap that was hit with a golf ball in the head every time you come in here and Leeds lose. You know, I have to put up with this. So there has to be something, of course, for a faction I can take over this type of abuse. You know, so I'll have, I all I can say is I'll have to consult my lawyers on it, yeah. and I have quite a few good lawyers. <laughs> no, look, it was a game that uh, that started very well. But I was just disappointed in VAR again. They, they got a penalty and VAR intervened, made a free take. Now, I just cannot understand. He, he, his foot was millimetres off the bloody line. It just doesn't make sense. The taker, uh, he, he just tapped the ball. I don't know whether you've seen the game, and I just tapped it. You know, there was no pressure at all on the on, on the kick. I just cannot understand why the kick was retaken. Now, VAR is, you know, for me, has caused a lot of uh, annoyance, you know, to managers and footballers, and especially the, the spectators. But that was bordering on the ridiculous last night. Absolutely. Uh, the issue did seem to be Fabianski went off his line, and, you know, he was judged to totally uh, obstruct the penalty that was being taken by Click it was retaken then again and the Leeds United players made no problems with rushing in on the penalty taker and really crowded the box arguably it should have been retaken once more if you're looking at it from a referee's viewpoint <coughs> it should have yeah it should have so that's it like, I, I think Vera has too much of an input into the game now I mean I watched the Villa game and uh, Wolves before I came out there was a handball incident now Peter Walton is in the studio with the uh, pundits and you know he same sentiments that I had uh, a couple of weeks back it certainly would have been given as a handball come off uh, on the defender's Wolves elbow and that but the distance between him and the kicker uh, you know it was only about two or three feet it would have been very very harsh but to have tweaked the handball law uh, in order to stop giving away silly penalties and I, I think it's right and Peter Walton said it would have been an injustice if a penalty had been given so Vera has absolutely made a mockery of the, the laws of the game uh, <coughs> there was a, a penalty incident uh, for call for uh, Aston Villa now they didn't need to go to Vera for it because the assistant referee had the flag up but yet Vera had to to take a look at it, even though the assistant referee had put the flag up that it was offside, <coughs> Mike Dean was actually going to give the penalty 
and he looked over and he realised that the flag was up and <coughs> he had to wait for VAR to make a decision on it. It's just mind-boggling the ways it has destroyed the game. Well, that was the final score yesterday at Ellen Road. We can't spend too much time talking about the lower league clubs, Jimmy. I'm sure you'll understand. West <laughs> Ham well, United 2 in that one. Leeds United 1. Wolves as well, beaten by Aston Villa this afternoon. Were you casting an eye on this one? It seemed to be quite a hot-tempered affair. Well, I'm quite surprised that uh, I didn't know until now that it actually ended up uh, that way because I left when there was three minutes or four minutes to go. The, in the end, there was five minutes injury time played, being played, and I was, I was quite surprised. It was an ill-tempered game, and the antics of their top uh, player Jack Grealish is, is mind-boggling. If Far is going to be consistent in you know intervening in uh, issues during the game, they want to have a serious look at this guy and the ways he goes about his business and that. Uh, two weeks ago, he was I forget what was it, was playing. Uh, there was a tackle on his right side. He lost the ball. Two or three seconds later, he jumped two foot in the air and started holding his left leg. I, I, you know, if Farr was doing his job, they, they should have told the referee a straight red card, and that would put a stop to that kind of carrying on. But I'm, I'm quite surprised that uh, the one, because Wolverhampton for me were the better side and had created the better of the chances. The keeper, uh, I thought the Villa keeper, Fabianski was the man of the match. He, he brought off some top class saves, but uh, I'm surprised that. Uh, they actually actually won it yeah I believe a penalty for Anwar Al-Ghazi in the 94th minute they also had uh, Douglas Louise sent off uh, <coughs> well spotted by Mike Dean he didn't have to go to VAR uh, for the incident uh, he was already on the yellow card and it was a rash tackle going for a header and his uh, arm was out and went into the neck of a defender so it, it was a 100% red card just a quick update on the three o'clock kickoff between Newcastle and West Brom. There's already been a goal for Miguel Almiron, the man many Newcastle United fans have been demanding to start in place of the Irishman Jeff Hendrick, who had previously, I think, started nearly every single game under Steve Bruce for Newcastle United, but he is hated and pilloried by the Newcastle United fans. The sky is blue water is wet you know what, what is going to be new there I think it's very difficult for any player any manager to win over the hearts and minds of the people of Tyneside but it is 1-0 lead for them so far does that give you a point of concern if you're Stephen Kenny looking at it now Jeff Hendrick played a lot of minutes for Stephen Kenny seemed to be a crucial member of that Irish squad now it looks like he could be very much so out of favour with his club side Newcastle well you know I've been saying for quite some time uh, Stephen Hendrick is not an international player uh, for me he never was uh, his contribution to the uh, Irish team uh, is very very little uh, defensively he can be pretty good he can you know he tracks back a, a fair bit but you know as a striker uh, he has never produced the goods for Ireland yeah, he does a bit of you know midfield. He, he can be used as uh, kind of a workhorse, but up front on his own, no. So I'm, I'm not surprised that Newcastle were given out about him and the, they didn't take to him. Uh, I I wasn't surprised either that uh, Burnley uh, got rid of him. Yeah, it did seem to be a bizarre situation. His contract ran out at Burnley. Must have had a good agent if the papers were reporting that he was being linked with AC Milan as well as Roma over in the Italian Serie A. 
didn't transpire for that uh, galactical move for young Jeff Hendrick. Now he is there warming the bench for Newcastle United. All right, well, looking ahead to Stephen Kenny's next international uh, competitive fixtures, of course, the 2022 World Cup group for Qatar was announced during the week. Ireland have been drawn in pot three alongside uh, Portugal, Serbia, Azerbaijan, as well as Luxembourg. Thankfully, Qatar themselves, the host nations, have asked and have been granted permission to link up with our group, a five-team group. Firstly, the logistics of that, Jimmy, only five teams in the group as opposed to the typical six. It would have meant Stephen Kenny would have had more time on the training pitch with his players to try and score goals, mostly, uh, try and develop a, a coherent playing style. Is that going to be more of a detriment to his plans now that they have to play a Mickey Mouse tournament or Mickey Mouse game rather against Qatar somewhere in Europe as opposed to having that time to themselves in Malahide to brush up on their skills Look I, I think he you know he, he has already uh, the mindset to understand and to know what his players are going to be for the tournament he has you know a panel of players he's got a panel of young players we have probably one of the best young keepers uh, come on stream Cueven Callagher has been an absolute outstanding uh, for Liverpool uh, the issue that I have and that he has is we haven't got an out and out striker we haven't got you know a goal poacher per se but midfield defence you know we're pretty well uh, solid enough so if he can get a striker I think Ireland is going to stand a, a very, very good chance. I mean, the teams that's in the group, Portugal, you know, the worst day that Ireland ever wore, they could always, you know, put it up to Portugal. Luxembourg is a team that have beaten uh, many the occasion. Uh, Azerbaijan, well, you know, uh, it's not so long ago we were, we were very fortunate actually to get a draw against them. But, you know, we should be uh, beating these teams and beating them fairly yeah, comfortable. I, I think we're in a good place. Uh, I know he didn't have a win in this Europa League, but he's you know he, he showcased a lot of players, young players. He's given the opportunity to to players, and uh, I just give him credit for what he's doing. You know we can't be blaming him because, quite frankly, we we don't have you know the multi-talented players like the English <coughs> game or even the Scottish game have. And it is a worry too, of course, having watched Dundalk throughout the Europa League campaign. Not the strongest Dundalk team in memory, it must be said. Did not really put up much of a fight against any of the teams that they were up against. I know they didn't totally embarrass themselves, but you look at Azerbaijan. They have played teams with a lot of state-funded money pumped through them that have gone on to play in the Europa League, not exactly reached Champions League level as of yet. Similar to, I suppose, Serbia has a, a long-standing history of great clubs in Europe, Red Star Belgrade, Partizan Belgrade. Looking to, as well, we all know about Portugal. And perhaps it's not well understood in Ireland how uh, important Dublin and the Aviva Stadium is to the Portuguese footballing public. They adore the Aviva Stadium for the simple reason of the Europa League final between Porto and Braga. The first time two Portuguese sides ever met in a continental final. I found very quickly if you say to any Portuguese people who are not from Lisbon from one of those two cities Porto or, or Braga up in the north they'll happily tell you how their region 
descended upon uh, Dublin for that final. It was a huge, huge event. So they will have plenty of good memories of travelling to the Aviva Stadium. In all likelihood, they will probably have a lot more after coming up against this Irish side. There's only one uh, Irish player that I know of that uh, played in Portugal. Uh, he was eight seasons with FC Porto. And uh, the last time that Ireland uh, played Portugal in a World Cup qualifier was going back some years ago now. And a group of lads from town went out to <coughs> the game and that. I was sick at the time. I wasn't able to travel with them. But the the former Port- uh, FC Porto player was actually in the ground at the time he was running golf tours, you know, from England out to Portugal and that. And someone from the Portuguese media spotted him in the the crowd and that. And it <coughs> came over the town that he was in the, the game. He had to stand up and uh, the whole stadium just erupted. I was out of sight, out of mind when it came to the international scene here in Ireland because Charlton uh, didn't like players playing abroad and that. He was capped for Ireland for seven, on seven occasions. But in a Porto, I see a Porto, he was a god. He, he, he was treated as a, a god and a king out there. And I've, like, I've known him since he was a young lad. What what was his name? Mickey Walsh. Mickey Walsh. Yeah, I've known him as a young lad coming to Castlebar. Uh, his uh, father came from Oak Key West, uh, just out the road uh, towards Island Eighty, and uh, lovely lad. He actually, uh, I don't know what you were involved with us at the time. Uh, we Paul Jordan, myself, we did an interview with his brother, uh, who is now the director of football with. Um, with Everton. Everton, Steve Welch. Yeah, Stevie yes. Welch. Yeah, yeah. But I, I've known, I've known them since they were young lads. But he was the only uh, Irish player that I've known to apply his trade in in Portugal. And even to this day, he's long retired. He's still, you know, thought very, very highly of uh, in in Portugal. And finally, uh, as far as my own Portuguese Mayo knowledge goes, there was uh, Michael Lynn, the infamous lawyer who used Rui Costa, the great Portuguese <laughs> international. He appeared on the back of Mayo GAA programmes, match day programmes, trying to flog off some property in a, in, the, in the Algarve. So maybe maybe not the most glamorous, maybe not the most successful of links and ties. Uh, we'd rather talk about the Aviva, uh, Mickey Welsh. But, you know, it's important to remember, Rui Costa is available if you have the money and the funds if to sponsor any sort of event you have coming up for your uh, your family, your business, what have you. All right, uh, the today's game in the FEI Women's uh, Cup final, it is going to be assisted by a Mayo woman, Anne Farrell, Jimmy. A very, very. Uh, Anne Sweeney. Anne Sweeney. Yeah. My apologies. Anne Sweeney uh, will be officiating for that one. A uh, very, very big day for her indeed, and and her entire family, of course. Yeah, it's a it's a huge day, you know, in women's football. It doesn't get the recognition the women's football as the men's do in Ireland, which is very, very unfortunate. I go back to uh, Castlebar Celtic some years back when they had uh, a team in the senior uh, ladies national league, and I always remember uh, scrambling to get a referee, get three officials to cover the game, and. Uh, they just weren't interested. The place, uh, the first game was against Shamrock Rovers, and uh, the referees uh, weren't interested in doing it. And eventually, I had to put my foot down and appoint three officials. And I'll never forget sitting in the dressing room, uh, and we just looked at each other. You know what the hell happened out there today? It was an absolute cracking game of football, and they struggled at times. This 
officials to keep you know the pace with the game it was a great game of football it has come on in leaps and bounds and I was sorry that Celtic did pull out of it but they depended primarily on a lot of students you know um, oh, I don't know she still plays football for me or uh, from Ballina she was, was in Australia uh, for a while playing Australian football I can't think of her name now uh, Sarah Rowe Sarah Rowe yeah she was in college and in Dublin uh, there was a girl from Galway playing before Galway put a team in themselves a girl from Donegal so the travelling you know and the cost to the to the club bringing the girls down was uh, something they just couldn't sustain but uh, it's a great honour for the referee society and it's a great honour for Anne uh, it's, it's well deserved you know to be and she's the assistant referee I don't know if she's number one or number two but we also had uh, John Mulroe uh, the, he was the number one assistant at the uh, men's cup final yeah, so me all have got uh, uh, a fair bit this year I've done me best like to fight, you know, fight their corner and that and get the, the, these appointments so those appointments will come directly from Dublin but all my partner would be just recommend them on that and uh, depending on the, the report that I issue uh, John of course did the quarter final between Usher, uh, Usher Celtic and uh, Athenry and uh, he got a good report uh, the referee that refereed the final uh, Mike Leeson from uh, Clare he did the Westport United quarter final and Oliver Bond so I was uh, assessing him and the report I gave him uh, more or less swung it that he got the final but I have good connections in Dublin, so I got the, the number one assistant for John. But it's a great honour, Queen. It's a great day out. You know, they get paid, they get a, an outfit. You know, it's a fantastic day. But do do they get to keep the outfit? They do, yeah. They get, yeah, they get supplied with complete new gear uh, for the day. <coughs> and the cup final, twenty twenty, ladies senior cup final, twenty twenty, on it. It's, it's just a fantastic occasion for them. And where in Mayo is Anne from? She's from Coron, uh, down uh, Acca. It's fascinating stuff. Hopefully we may get her on the show at some stage, but that game was just kicked off there as well. This the FEI Women's Cup final. Uh, I believe P-Mount are taking place in that one. Looking ahead to the interesting story that we had last week of John Joe Patrick Finn, Jimmy, I did a slight bit of research. Uh, I, I don't think it's going to win me the Pulitzer. I stumbled across a YouTube channel by some gentlemen from Ballyhawness talking about their fantasy Premier League. And they talked about how they met John Joe Patrick Finn when he was 12 years of age. He had been playing for Real Madrid. He'd been wearing some Real Madrid kit playing down in Ballyhawness, I believe, the day around August time, 2012, between Ballyhawness and Clare Morris B. John Joe Patrick Finn joined in on the game it was kind of an exhibition and his father is believed to work in the Irish government for some time based in Madrid mother from Cameroon of course and it is really just a, a fascinating story and looking ahead to the World Cup in 2022 of who he will represent who he'll play for where his allegiances will be because there is so much we do not know about John Joe Patrick Finn apart from an incredible name and the fact that he has already has some first team minutes under his belt in the in La Liga, the top flight of Spanish football, is is truly quite quite remarkable. You know, the fact that somebody has appeared out of nowhere, seventeen years of age, 
and is quite clearly thought so highly of at a top level club in one of Europe's strongest leagues yeah look at Belly Hall has, uh, has produced some good footballers over the years but for me one of the most outstanding people to come from that neck of the woods uh, I don't think he actually played much football but his involvement at youth level and I certainly when we were talking about getting contact I actually completely forgot about Michael Murphy uh, Michael would uh, know the family he was responsible for bringing young lads uh, to Dublin on many of the occasions for trials for various clubs and that the young lads that got on you know the youth international side and uh, I'm sure Michael would have uh, enough knowledge of him and the family up there and I, I will certainly talk to Michael I've got a, his, his number but uh, look to get him over the line to play for Ireland I hope we don't make the same mistakes that we did with Declan Rice have him sitting on the, the bench and you know all it was 30 seconds for him to get off the bench and cross the line and you know if we had done that under the previous management team he was nailed down Grealish no I prefer I'm delighted that, uh, that he didn't declare for Ireland I, I really am I just I don't like that kind of antics uh, on a football pitch but if the young man is prepared and I'm sure his father will certainly uh, influence him and the father will be delight and proud to see him wear the Irish shirt I, that's I'm just surprised I, I would hope so but um, it's something we need you know a, a striker someone that's able to put the ball in the bloody net and at 17 years of age to come off the bench in Liga it tells you how you know how much they think of him and that they certainly wouldn't do that if you know they didn't have high hopes for him yeah, and it wasn't exactly a weakened Getafe side when he did come on. The squad is not exactly thin. He, If the online records of his youth appearances are to be believed, last year he played 30 games and he scored 27 goals in the youth category for Getafe. Never actually played for the, the B team, has just been totally parachuted into the first team setup. And he's joined on the bench by a Limerick man, Ryan Nolan, formerly of Inter Milan. He is a, quite a tall centre-back and very good with his feet, kind of a ball-playing defender. He's yet to make his debut at 21 years of age for Getafe since signing for the club in the summer from Inter Milan. But John Joe Patrick Finn, father from Devilis and Ballyhonis, has managed to overtake him in the ranking of Irish players in La Liga. He's the youngest player to make his debut in La Liga all season and he's the first Irishman since Steve Finnan back when he played for Levante back in the day yeah look at you know to get off the bench for any club in Spain at 17 years of age is is really unheard of and by all accounts he has a future ahead of him in that but what I would like to see is the approach being made you know that uh, we bring him on board at youth level now and give him the opportunity and see does he want to play for Ireland and you know he's, all it takes is one international and let him over that line and he's ours we we keep him because we are starved of a good uh, striker you know we talked about Jeff Hendricks earlier on in the the show I don't believe he has the capability of filling that void. Uh, I don't think Connolly either is uh, good enough uh, he's been substituted quite a few times for Brighton he, he's a pacey player Connolly but he just doesn't have that killer instinct you know front so 
Yeah, and just looking across to some of the other future talents of the Irish team, Troy Parrott's Millwall are 3-0 down. It's just after 23 minutes there, quite remarkable. He's leading the line for Millwall, yet to score, but at least he is actually playing first-team football. But it does add into it another worry, another doubt. When you see somebody like Michael Obafemi play for Southampton, we all get our hopes up. We see him capped by Martin O'Neill at the time. Now he can barely get a game for the under-23s. Yeah, and it's, it's rather strange, and that why he doesn't look, you know, for a long spell away from the club. Because you know, in order to improve, you have to be playing football. Sitting on the bench is not going to help you, and you know, it's within his right to go in and ask for, you know, a loan move or whatever, rather than be left sitting on the bench. Uh, it, it's happening all too often with Irish players. So, uh, Parrot for me possibly has the makings of a, a striker that, that we need but he's injury prone he's had you know for a young player he's had quite a few injuries a few setbacks and that he's playing with a club that well they were in the news there very recently for all the <laughs> all the wrong reasons and that's a, a club that uh, are noted for uh, not the niceties on the pitch or off the pitch uh, to say the say the least but you know it's an experience for him and that and uh, I hope he does well but he needs to be scoring goals yeah definitely uh, the first team appearances are at least coming for him finally but he does really need to begin to start hitting the back of the net very quickly an update of the scores still 1-0 at St James's Park in Newcastle it is Newcastle United 1 West Bromwich Albion 0 of course the Manchester Derby is kicking off in just a few short hours at half 5 Man United versus Manchester City how do you think that one is going to go Jimmy Solskjaer looks to be under a huge amount of pressure after being dumped out of the Champions League and Pep Guardiola's Manchester City just seem to be floating by playing a beautiful brand of football but rarely setting the world alight. Well, look, you know, as I said to Aidan on the Grapevine show last Tuesday, on paper Manchester United should beat Leipzig. They didn't. Paper City should walk away with it today. But that doesn't always pan out. And we don't know what team Manchester United is going to turn up. We don't know how the mindset after being dumped out of the Champions League. We don't know what's going on at the club. We're listening to all sorts of rumour. Paul has unsettled the, the team a little bit with his antics. Uh, Bruno seems to be dictating an enormous amount of what's going on at the club at the moment. He was responsible, according to media reports, for uh, having a right go at Solskjaer in a match a couple of weeks back telling him to make changes. So you have to ask yourself, who's running the, the show at Old Trafford? Certainly uh, it doesn't appear that Schultzer has you know, a grip on what's going on at the club. But I could say City on paper is going to win it fairly handsomely. But again, you just don't know what Manchester United. But I do fancy City. My good feeling tells me that City will have enough to, to get a result. Excellent stuff. And just before we wrap up, Jimmy, looking at, well, I currently have up on my screen the Getafe-Sevilla game. We will be keeping an eye on that for young John Joe Patrick Finn. But when things go back to normal, when fans are allowed back into stadiums, Jimmy, your position now, you're the vice chairman of the CRCFM board. How about a junket over to Madrid to the uh, Coliseum Alfonso de Perez? If, uh, if John Joe's still playing, you know, we can maybe snap an all exclusive or two. Ryan Nolan there from Shannon. In, uh, in Limerick uh, he's also representing the Irish flag CRCFM Roadshow from Madrid so, so certainly I, I, well, the last time I was, uh, I was in Europe I was a guest uh, the European Parliament 
not by the MPs now or anything, a, a friend that worked out there in it, but it was through the European Parliament. And it was a fantastic uh, experience, uh, I have to say. You see how the other side lived. And you know what, you know, every time I think about the smoking ban in, in pubs, you know, there was a particular room in the Parliament. Uh, at every desk, there's a phone and a laptop and an ashtray. And this now is a smoking ban all over Europe. But that's how the other side of The only good side of it was a, a glass of carrot work. I'd say it was just slightly less than a pint, actually. It was 150. So, you know, Europe has its good sides. It does, it does, at least. You know, we, we can maybe have a few... Uh, I'd, I'd love that. Yeah, yeah, I'd love that. You take it up with your superiors and, yeah. and, and I'll, uh, I'll put the word out there. You know, as soon as the flights are going, Madrid to knock to Getafe and we'll watch yeah, certainly we'll watch the man himself John Joe Patrick yeah, Finn from Get Harvey <laughs> I tried to get that in actually Spanish I did it earlier didn't see it work this time alright we're going to have to go to an ad break after this I'll be talking to Stuart Tynan of the Connor Telegraph to preview the world's darts events uh, as well as John Mohan coming up after that do not go anywhere thanks indeed of course to Jimmy and uh, busy working on that Madrid Roadshow certainly <laughs> CRC FM Sport with Guinea's Castle Bar, home to Mayo's best range of branded menswear for less. 